It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. So the Oilers just making it official after multiple reports throughout the afternoon. Three-year deal for Miko Koskinen worth $13.5 million, so that's four and a half per year. It'll kick in for next season. He's 14-10-1 on the year with three shutouts, but his best work was through his first 14 games, 9-3-1. Sorry about that, I had to sneeze. Uh, 9-3-1 with a 9.29 save percentage and a 2.06 goals against average. Since then, he's 5-7 with an 8.90 save percentage. Spooner and Raddy on waivers, and Caleb Jones has been sent to Bakersfield. All right, before we get to Blake, I promised a minute and a half for loyal caller and listener Gary. Go ahead, Gary. Okay, thanks, Reed. Um, when you're looking at players, and I know that management has got a team of of experts, but the number, the number, there's two things that you would want to look at when you're building a hockey team. And number one would be what? Skating, right? If you can't skate and you don't have hockey sense, those would be the two things. And uh, from there, uh, you look at what the Oilers have for below average skaters on the back end. I mean, Russell, Larson, Benning, those there's three, and then they trade for Manning and Pretrovic, which are which are really slow defensemen, and we do have some forwards that are really really slow. So it has a lot to do with with the speed of the game. The game is changing, and we're out, we're we're getting players that are that are not fast. And as far as Cam Talbot is concerned, uh, he's just not playing up to par. And yeah, they have to go with Costin. Koskinen. Uh, good stuff, Gary. I think that uh, and also some fast guys aren't scoring. And are, like, how does Reader have zero goals? He don't, like he doesn't take. He's fast, but he doesn't take the puck to the net. So that's true. Yeah. So a lot going wrong. Thanks, Gary. Talk to you soon, man. Have a good one. That is Gary checking in seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. NHL today. The Sharks now trailing the Panthers 4-2 early in the third. The Wild have beaten the Golden Knights 4-2. That is bad for the Oilers. Uh, It is good for the Oilers that the Avalanche lose 4-1 to the Predators and the Kings knock off the Blues 4-3, Edmonton and Detroit tomorrow. Shifting gears to football. Look who is back on the show. It's Blake Dermott. Blake, I just can't keep you away, can I? (laughs) Hi, Reed. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, congratulations on the new job. You're joining the Edmonton Wildcats. What are you going to be doing, man? I'm, uh, I'll be working with the offensive line. And this was, uh, how many years were you with, uh, which school were you with again? Well, I, I was uh, 16 years with Salisbury, then last year I was with Scona for a year, and, and uh, 
and uh, the Wildcats, um, the offensive coordinator was a, a fellow, Andy Pilon, who uh, I really enjoyed working with for about six years at Salisbury, and he was my quarterback coach, a former uh, quarterback with the Wildcats, so he moved over there last year, and uh, or two years ago, and my son moved there last year, and, and uh the offensive line coach is a fellow named Sean Brown, who has been there for five years, and I coached Sean when he was 14 years old. And and you know, so I I've had or been involved with uh, this whole coaching staff for most of the time that I've ever coached. And uh, Sam Johnson is the head coach of St. Albert uh, St. Albert High, and and I've known Sam for about 14, 15 years, and gives me an opportunity to uh, to finally coach with him. I've always enjoyed his company, and and. Uh, and uh, his knowledge about the game. So yeah, it's a, it's a it's a chance to to move up and and coach kids that are are adults now. And uh, you know, it has a a little bit different sort of a, um, a commitment level, um, a little bit different uh, uh, mindset and knowledge level of the game. And and uh, I'm going to enjoy it. Well, good for you. And you're still going to be doing all the work with 6:30 Chet for Eskimos games. Absolutely. Right. I, and, and that's one of the things that we're still, you know, my 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 level of commitment with the Wildcats is going to be predicated on what their schedule is compared to what the Eskimos schedule is. I already know what the Eskimos schedule is, but I, I the Wildcats schedule doesn't come out until March. And I mean, last year, if, if all things were equal, that there, there may have only been one or two conflicts at most. So, so I'm hoping that this is uh, rather seamless. Okay. Good stuff. Well, I'm I'm happy for you. So let me ask you this: um, If you were to now, I know you're going to be working with older guys here, but if you had a younger player, I don't like. I, I know in Canada there's varying ages when people start playing football, but a lot of kids are starting now. You know, preteen, as opposed to a lot of players might have started in high school. You know, 40 years ago. If you're when you start instructing someone to play on the offensive line, like do you start with footwork? Do you start with arm and hand technique and positioning like what what are some fundamentals you got to nail down well i, I really think that you, you you can't do one without the other but i mean in in football as an offensive lineman if you don't have decent feet if you don't have the ability to be able to move to put your body in position to make a block it really doesn't matter um how strong you are especially at this level um, although some people argue that you could be really incredibly strong and have terrible feet, and you can always counter because you're able to uh, you're able to control a guy. But when you start to get to the adult level, when players are the size of some of these kids that I'm dealing with, like six foot six and 320 pounds, right? You got to be awfully strong to be able to control the body if your feet aren't in the right position. Now, if you're a little kid, if you're playing at nine and ten years old, or or even at some high school level, uh, you you might be able to get away with it if you're incredibly strong, but uh, but you don't find that many kids that are that are that kind of strength. So it all comes down to how well you move your feet and your natural ability to be able to move your feet. And uh, that's the biggest thing. When I, when I, whenever I've, you know, over the years been looking at kids, that uh, I, I, the first thing I look at is, okay, how do they move? What do they do with their feet? If they stand still and pivot at the waist, then it's going to be a little bit difficult to turn them into a player. Interesting. Okay. Blake Dermott joining us on Inside Sports. He's going to be working with the Edmonton Wildcats offensive line. Of course, he's our Eskimos in-game analyst here on 630 Chet. And uh, we, we talk football throughout the season whenever there's something going on. A lot going on in the National Football League yesterday. Uh, both conference championships games going to overtime. That has never happened before. And... 
I mean, the the New Orleans Saints, like, man, you know, we have, here's the thing, Blake, we have video review for pass interference in the CFL, and I always hear from a lot of people who want to get rid of it, and sometimes I feel like that, but but now after that game yesterday, a lot of fans are saying, hey, shouldn't the NFL, if the CFL can do it, why can't the NFL have a challenge for pass interference? I, I mean, that was a blatantly missed call in my mind. You know, one of the things that, that used to bother the, the heck out of me was when I was playing was, was you know, and, and I, uh, as a kid, I grew up and, and refed hockey till I was 18 years old. So, I mean, that was basically my the first job I ever had, a part-time job. So I kind of understood the challenges that referees have to go through and appreciated the fact that, that it's not an easy job and sometimes you're going to make mistakes and all of those things. But, boy, over the years, the one thing that I always heard was that the, the refereeing in the CFL was subpar and it was just terrible and it was worse. I tell you what, folks, if you, if you still have that feeling after watching both of these games on the weekend and, and, and watching the playoffs as they go, uh, as they've gone along this season, and you still think that the refereeing in the CFL is subpar, then you know nothing about the game of football. Because, because I am, it was embarrassing to see some of the things that the NFL allows, and it, it, it reminds me of the NHL in the 1980s when Wayne Gretzky uh, had to skate around with two guys hanging on his jersey every step of the, of the way. And I watched, and, not, and we're going to talk about the, the play in the, in the, uh, uh, the Rams and uh, um, Saints game where it was one of the worst cases of, uh, of uh, pass interference that weren't called. And a headshot. Yeah, and the headshot. But you could go to a dozen plays uh, in the in the next game against the Patriots, uh, the Patriots uh, and Kansas City, uh, when uh, Gronk is running a wheel route, coming out of the backfield doing a wheel route, and the guy is hanging onto his jersey and wrapping around his waist, and the ball gets thrown over Gronk's head, and they don't call pass interference, or the the uh, the pick play that the Kansas City runs against the uh, Patriots. And to, to, for their last touchdown, where the guy comes down the field. I mean, it's supposed to be a rub, and that happens all the time in football. But this turns into a straight, flat-out bowl the guy over and, and send the Kansas City chief into the, uh, into the end zone. Or when Kansas City got an interception off the tip, um, uh, oh, God, from, um, uh, not Amendola, sorry. Um, uh, the, the Edelman one? Edelman, yeah. And then, then that headshot to Edelman. Um, after the interception, clean uh, uh, headshot, helmet to helmet. Um, you know, just, just those kinds. Of, so it, it went both ways. It was all over the field. And the referees in the NFL are so, they will not blow up. You know, how many times you see a ball on the ground and nobody wants to blow the play because we're going to just review it in, uh, on, uh, on TV. We're going to review those, those kinds of plays. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Their, their playoff system is embarrassing. They're, they, you know what? I'm a fan of football, and I will watch football, and I'll, I'll obviously I'll watch the Super Bowl, but it pains me to watch the NFL. It pains me to watch it, and there are so many people that are out there that just say that it's the end-all, be-all league, and believe me, folks, if that's what you think, you've got to get out more. <laughs> Some passion from Blake Dermott tonight. <laughs> it's, uh, well, I didn't get to watch... The because I started the the faceoff show at about six yesterday, and I was doing prep before that, so I had I had a lot of that New England Kansas City game on without the sound, you know. So I saw them reviewing did did he touch the punt and a, a couple of the completions or incompletions, right? So yeah, I mean there was a lot uh, a lot going on and a, and a lot that they were looking at, and it's so it, it is weird to me because sometimes I feel like they call too much pi in the CFL. 
it, because they call the hand checking, and I and I like that they allow hand checking in the in the NFL. But you're right; sometimes you you feel like, well, the, he didn't look at the ball, and he's face guarding him or tugging his jersey, and they didn't flag it. So, hey, I I I'm not against the physical part of the game, and I agree with you. I think sometimes they're really nitpicky in the CFL, but the rules are set up for pass interference, and they call them by the rules. And that's the thing that you know. The the in the NFL, you got pass interference rules too, and you're allowed to make contact within five yards from line of scrimmage. But we're talking about mugging a guy 25 yards downfield and not calling a play, not turning around when the ball's in the air. I mean, just just call it like it's designed. You know, if it's in the rule book, make the call. Or if you don't want to do that, then let's have more reviews because. Because I tell you what, when they review it, like the catch, to, uh, um, they, they, there was a couple of a uh, couple of instances where they reviewed the ball. Uh, the, the they reviewed the um, you know uh, a, a catch, and it went either way for the Patriots. And I'm not against that. Make the right call, and they should have reviewed the contact to Brady's head because that shouldn't have been a penalty. And but they got it right on on uh, on Edelman's uh, uh, punt uh, where he didn't touch the ball. Right. So so make it right. Don't let, don't let people's livelihoods and careers and, and all of that stuff go because you're afraid to make a call like that referee clearly was in the Saints game. All right, overtime format. I know we discussed this after the Super Bowl. The Patriots won in overtime, and and you and you liked the Pats. And I remember the time you even said you got Matt Ryan on the bench, not getting to touch the ball. You you know you want to promote stars in the NFL, and they have done a good job of that. But he doesn't get to touch the ball. And then yesterday, Mahomes doesn't get to touch the ball. I understand the argument. Kansas City's defense had a chance to stop them, like the Rams' defense did against the Saints. They got an interception. Uh, but the coin flip is still a big part of it in my mind, Blake. And here's the thing. If both teams kick field goals, the team that won the coin flip then still has the advantage because they'll get the possession, uh, uh, the, the third possession where it turns into sudden death. I actually like the shootout that U Sports uses, that the NCAA uses, that the CFL uses it. All it takes out of the game is punting. And, and, and to me, it's still an exciting way to tie the game. Where are you out with this? Well, I, I don't mind. I don't mind the shooter. I think at the professional level, I mean, it's it, and and this is the same way with the with the uh, shootouts in hockey. If if it's going into overtime, it should be decided by a team. Now, I don't agree with the team that scores the first if they score in their first possession, if they score a touchdown in the first possession, or defense scores based on a safety in the NFL, that the game is over. I don't believe that. I believe that both teams should have the opportunity to possess the ball. And then anything after that, the first guy to score. So, so if the Patriots go down the field, don't score, or don't score a major, they kick a field goal, then, then the Saints get a chance. And then if the Saints go down the field and score uh, and kick a field goal, then it comes back to the Patriots. That's the way I believe it should go. I don't care if it takes 45 minutes. I don't care if it takes an hour and a half. The game should be decided the way the game is played uh, uh, on a normal basis. But to, to, to have the rule where it, it's, all decided, it's all decided on chance, I, I just think that's another one of those things that the NFL isn't getting it right. It's ridiculous, and it comes up every year. Every year something like this happens, and people cry about it, but does anybody change? The, 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 the NFL doesn't listen to critics and say that there's got to be some better way to do it. And, and part of the reason is because you'll go to the Super Bowl in two weeks from now, and somebody, some clown will still pay $20,000 for two tickets because they've got to see the game. You know, I mean, I was at the Super Bowl the last time that the Patriots won in Phoenix, and uh, people were offering $12,000 for two tickets before the game. And uh, it was absolutely crazy. 
So people complain about the way the game is played, but they still support the game and still throw tons of dollars at it. And the only way that's ever going to change and the only way the NFL is ever going to listen to to people complaining is if it affects the pocketbooks of the of the owners. Uh, you know, we didn't. If you got more time, we, like we didn't even talk about actually how the teams played. I mean, I got to give, despite the calls, I got to give the Rams credit for fighting back, and, and uh, they got a good defense. And I think their D line, if they're going to beat New England, I think it comes down to the Rams D line. And then I thought just. You know, New England, Kansas City, I mean, Brady's already established as the greatest, and Mahomes is is up and coming. So I just thought that was a great showdown between quarterbacks in, in different, the opposite ends of their careers. Yeah, you know, I, I for, of course, being being uh, older, um, always cheer for the old guys, kids, young guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and you know what, and, and it isn't out of disrespect for, for the players like Pat Mahomes, who, who is just going to be um if 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 things maintain like you know at 23 years old this guy is going to be quite possibly one of the greatest quarterbacks ever play the game and uh and golf over there in los angeles same thing i mean there's only like a year difference between the two of them and and uh these guys are these guys are the leaders at that position in the league right now and uh, having said that then you look at guys like um uh drew Brees, who had a career year you know uh and uh at 40 years old. Um, the sad thing is, is that he had somebody take the opportunity for him to get uh, another chance at a Super Bowl. And I would love to have seen Drew Brees against Tom Brady. I would love to have seen that because these guys are obviously in the twilight of their careers, and it would be nice to see them playing at the level that they're playing at to to, to go out uh, with a championship. I, I'm not sure that's going to happen for Drew Brees again, um, and it may never happen for Brady either. But you look at guys like Goff and, and Mahomes. We could see these guys three and four times uh, in the Super Bowl again. Like, they're that good, and, and that's where the future is in the NFL. So, for me, I, uh, I, I, thought, I thought, you know, both teams played really well. I, I think, I think um, Kansas City, uh, at the beginning of that game, being down by 13 points, I thought that uh, uh, the, the Saints came out with a really good game plan and really frustrated Goff. Um, but you're right. When the way they came back, the way they were to chip away, the way they were able to game plan it after halftime and come out and and uh, make it a game and to the point where they they won the game, I, I thought that was a fantastic effort on both sides. And and uh, then you go to the other game with uh, w- with uh, Brady and uh, uh, Mahomes and the Chiefs. And how do you cheer against uh, Andy Reid? How do you how do you not like that guy when you look at him? I mean, I I, I would have been okay with either one of those teams making it to the into the the Super Bowl. Uh, 49 years for the Chiefs since they've won it, yeah. and uh, you know it's just it's uh, it was a, a, a real it was a great game. I honest to God, I thought we as football fans we were treated to some of the best excitement. It never before two games gone into overtime. I just wish it wouldn't have been uh, uh, wouldn't have been tarnished by uh, the referees. Blake, always great to have you on the show. I know we'll talk again soon, and congratulations on the new gig with the Wildcats, man. Hope things are going well. I appreciate it, Reed. Thanks a lot. That is the one and only Blake Dermott, former Edmonton Eskimo, now an analyst for our broadcast here on 630 Chet, and he's going to be helping out on the O-line with the Edmonton Wildcats. Love having Blake on the show. Pretty passionate about the officiating, the, the lack of the quality he thought yesterday in the NFL playoff games and uh, overtime as well. I mean, what do you think about overtime? You can text 630-630-780-496-0063. Do you think both teams should possess the ball offense? Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Whether it's a shootout or you, you kick off again, even if you score a touchdown, you can let me know what you think. We'll take a quick timeout. Inside Sports on Chet. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Late in the third period, Panthers leading the Sharks 5-2. Minnesota wins 4-2 at Vegas. Predators win on the road 4-1 in Colorado. Los Angeles a 4-3 home ice victory against the St. Louis Blues. Lots going on with the Oilers today. Miko Koskinen gets a three-year contract extension worth $13.5 million. That'll be an annual cap hit of 4 per year starting next season. Ty Ratty and Ryan Spooner both on waivers. Raddy with eight points in 29 games this season. Spooner with three points in 24 games with the Oilers. And Caleb Jones has been assigned to Bakersfield. Oilers and Wings tomorrow on 6.30. Chad Faceoff show at 5.30. The game will start at 7. This portion of the show presented by Furnace Family, your 24-7 furnace repair and replacement specialist. Call 7804-FAMILY or check them out online, furnacefamily.com. You can text 6.30-6.30. Had Blake Dermott on the show. Last half hour talking about uh, some of the officiating in the uh, NFL championship games and the tie-breaking, the overtime that they use. Big Jack says definitely both teams deserve to touch the ball in overtime, but the NFL has much bigger problems. Why is Kaepernick blacklisted for the league for championing a major American social issue, but beating or abusing women or getting involved in dogfighting receives a mere slap on the rest that may cost you a year of salary. That is from Big Jack. George says, do you think everyone should get participation ribbons so no one gets hurt feelings? I like what the NFL does. Yes, it's not fair, but life's not fair. If KC wanted to win, they should have made more plays. I hate what the CFL does. Feels like what you'd have peewees do so no one gets gets hurt feelings. That is from uh, George. Okay, well, to answer your question, George, uh, no, I don't think everybody should get participation ribbons, especially in the NFL and uh, the CFL. uh, You're right, life isn't fair. uh, But I'll tell you what, George, what if you applied for a job and they said, you know what, George, you're probably better than the other candidate, but we're going to flip a coin, and if he wins the coin flip, he'll get the job. And that's my issue and a lot of people's issue with the NFL format is that a random event such as the coin flip plays a very large role in giving one team a greater opportunity to win the game. And, and yes, you're right. KC could have got an interception, could have got a sack, could have uh, stopped uh, New England on third down, all that kind of stuff for sure. But if you win the coin flip, your chances of winning the game increase dramatically and in a sport like football where one team is definitely on offense and one is definitely on defense it doesn't have the flow to it like hockey does uh i i don't think that's an appropriate way to do that it that it has that much impact on determining the outcome uh and george also says uh i hate what the cfl does feels like what you'd have peewees do so no one gets hurt feelings george in the cfl 
they're playing to determine a winner. They're still trying to break the tie. If they didn't want anybody to have hurt feelings, they, they wouldn't keep score or they would just let tie games end in a tie without having overtime. This texter says, are you surprised Shirelli is still employed by the Oilers? Uh, no, I'm not. Should he be still employed by the Oilers? Probably not. Am I surprised he is still employed by the Oilers? No, I'm not. Ron in Red Deer says, uh, hey, Reed, what about home field advantage gets the ball automatically in overtime to start overtime? You know what? That's That'd be better than a coin flip because that would put that would say which team had a better regular season. You're not only going to get home field advantage. If it goes to overtime, you'll get the ball first and have the first chance to score a touchdown and win the game. That would actually be determined. That, that would be... That would be... Uh, that would make more sense to me. Because at least it's something on the happened on the field all year long would determine you getting the ball in overtime. That's an interesting discussion. Uh, discussion. I, I, I think George is just trolling us at this point, Kellen. He wrote back. Okay. I got my current job because my name came first alphabetically. That wasn't fair, but that's life. By the way, George, you're using the wrong fair. It's F-A-I-R, not F-A-R-E like you're spelling it. So if, if, so if grammar and spelling is part of your job, it's a good thing you got it alphabetically because you wouldn't got it on merit. Just having fun with you, George. You're dishing it out, so hopefully you can take it. 780-496-0063. You can also text 630-630. All right, uh, the Oilers, a tough weekend. Hitchcock today says uh, they have to play a certain way to win games. We're built a certain way, and when we're allowed to play that way, we're very effective. And when we focus on playing that way, we can really do damage. But when we get into the game we allowed Carolina to get into yesterday, it's a huge disadvantage for us and we spend the whole first period on our heels and we've had uh, for me uh, since January 1st we've had too many games like that where we've spent a lot of time on our heels because we've we've fed their transition game and Hitchcock was also asked about the quality of the roster this is what what's going with our hockey club this is a hundred percent on the players and coaches and it's on us as much as the players that I don't care what the roster is I don't you know we've got one injury basically there's teams that play are playing better five on five that have six seven guys out we it's on us to play better I don't care whatever rosters are there everybody goes through peaks and valleys on how many healthy bodies or who your roster is or what you want it's not my job my job is to get our team playing um, at a much better rate when you look at our ratio since christmas we're the combination of special teams pk and pp man we're we're 105 plus total numbers which is really high it's but you win in this game five on five, and the five on five is the coaches and players' responsibility, and we're just not good enough there right now. We're not playing good enough. We're not playing consistent enough, and if that changes, we'll win our share of hockey games. All right, that is from Hitch. They got uh, some work to do after the last couple of games. 
this texter says, uh, Kayla says, it's pretty silly that luck determines who gets to play when the game is based on skill, talking about NFL overtime. Bobby says, life may not be fair, but the arbitrary rules of a game should be. Ah, that's a good text. Roadhammer says, I'm a class one driver. I had to prove I could do what I said I could do before I got hired for the job. It was based solely on performance. Obviously, the Oilers didn't look at Peter's performance before they hired him. LOL. That is from Roadhammer. All right. Got to, uh, got to get to Lars Hirschfeld before 8 o'clock, but I got a minute here for Elvis. Go ahead. Hey, Reed. Good to listen to you tonight. I just want to make a real quick statement here. Everybody's on the Shirelli watch to see if he gets fired or not. I've got a breaking news statement I want to say. It's not just Shirelli. It's that whole management team that's been doing the same thing over and over and over for the past 12 years. They need to break the cycle. I'm talking McTavish, everybody. I don't care. It's not just Shirelli doing this. And I hope they, I hope they really think about what they're doing before they make more silly moves. Uh, and Koskinen, I don't know what to think of that. that that's, that's, just, that's crazy to me. All right. Thanks, Elvis. Appreciate it. It is 7.45. We'll take a quick timeout. New. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Goalkeeper coach for FC Edmonton, former member of the national team, Edmonton native Lars Hirschfeld. When we get back. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. He grew up in Edmonton. Wound up playing for the Canadian national soccer team. Now he's been hired as a goaltending coach for FC Edmonton. Welcome to Inside Sports, Lars Hirschfeld. Lars, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you on the show, and congrats on the new gig as you join FC Edmonton as its uh, goalkeeping coach. Tell me a little bit about this opportunity and uh, why it's a good one for you. Ah, it's great, you know, to work with two local kids that um, have gone through almost the same process or going through the same process that I did is... uh, yeah, it's 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 a reason why you stay in the game after your career is done. Was this something you thought you would get into once you you uh, finished playing? Did did you have uh, your eye on being a coach, or what, what were some uh, aspirations for you as your playing career wound down? No, I don't think so. I think when you're playing, you're so focused on playing and performing week in week out, and then the year, the season after that. You, I don't think it really it's not something you really think about in the time, but it's just over time as you come mature. You find yourself in a role where you're you're mentoring younger players, and eventually, you know, you become a coach. It's just something that happens. I think it's just a natural part of the process. You know, working with uh, with goaltenders, it's obviously Lars, as you know, a pretty unforgiving position. Uh, other players can make a mistake, and somebody else might bail them out. Bail them out if something goes wrong with a goaltender. Usually, winds up in the net. So, uh, are, are you as focused? Uh, do, do you coach more the the physical side of the game, or do you maybe focus more on uh, the mental side of the game and, and dealing with the strength there that a goaltender has to have? Yeah, like you said, it, it's a ruthless position. There's there's no hiding. That's for sure. Um, at this level, the guys usually have their physical and tactical and their technical foundations really solid. So a lot of it is mental at this stage. So dealing with, like you said, you know, 
shortcomings, mistakes, other people's mistakes. You know, someone makes a mistake, you're the one that has to clean it up. Um, yeah, it's uh, at this phase of point, it's a lot of mental, and it's uh, it's really taxing. And uh, there's a lot of keepers out there that don't have a full set of hair, so that uh, there might be something to be said about that. Now, would you be one of them, Lars? <laughs> I'm very much, I'm very much one of them. I had a full head, I had a full head of hair when I started my career. And now it's, uh, yeah, it looks like a crop circle from the top now. <laughs> oh, there you go, Lars Hersfeld joining us on Inside Sports tonight. Takes over as goalkeeping coach for FC Edmonton, and of course, uh, a, a native of Edmonton, and, and you went on to have a a really great playing career, but uh, take me back to the, to the beginning. What were some of the uh, roots for you in soccer in Edmonton, and how did you go about getting noticed? I mean, you played pro for a long time. You played national team. What was the journey like for you from probably some community team in Edmonton to, to being on the Canada's big team? Yeah, it, it was extremely humble. I was, the, I was the fat German kid on a team of Italians, and, you know, my father experimented with me when I was a younger. I, I We would kick around, I'd get, go and goal with them, but I was always an out-to-field player. Then came a time when I went to club football, and like I said, it was a fat German kid, and they threw me in the pipes, and I never turned back. So, And then went through the journey, went there, uh, played on Inter for my youth program, and then Edmonton Itaal, and then the Drillers, where that came by, and I was in college. So I was uh, I was fortunate enough to actually, my part-time job was, uh, you know, kicking a ball around, and that just prepped me. And then I always had my sights, you know, when I was done schooling that I just wanted to go overseas and try my luck. And uh, I was fortunate enough on my first try, they, uh, they offered a contract. All right, so you, you said something there. You were, you were the fat kid that they, they put in net. You're, you're probably being a little hard on yourself, I would think. But but so you, you weren't one of those kids where it's like, oh, I want to be the goalie. I want to be that guy. You kind of You kind of fell into the position a bit? Uh, a little bit. I had an older brother, and so you know when you're dealing with an older brother and their friends, and you're trying to keep up. Sometimes you know they just want to throw. They just throw anyone in goal, and I just happened to be that kid. So it, it just was a natural progression. My father, he was uh, he played rec league, uh, rec league football, and he was a goalkeeper. So yeah, you always kind of you know that's your first idol, right? Your brother and your father. You know those are the guys are right around you, and you know you kind of want to be like them. And yeah, I just followed suit. Lars Hirschfeld joining us on Inside Sports tonight. You, you know, you you got to to play for for so many different teams in so many different countries. Um, so I mean, I'm sure you have you have a lot of great stories. But what was that like in terms of your professional and and personal life? And I and I know it was you know you, you did have some extended stays with some teams, but um, did you get to embrace the in- uncertainty from year to year? Was it frustrating sometimes? How did you deal with that side of it? Yeah, I think every footballer, that's a rude awakening because you're usually running on contracts and they could be as short as month to month, six months, sometimes a year, two, three years. I've lived and experienced them all. So you always have this this feeling. You're almost living out of a suitcase consistently throughout your whole career. And you might have stints where you, you get a couple of good years in one place and you can actually settle in and, you know, kind of almost call it home. But yeah, it's, you just have this constant unsettled feeling throughout your whole career. And it's, uh, it just comes with the territory. Well, that, that that's interesting. I mean, that's one thing an athlete uh, has to deal with that probably a lot of people don't think of. Did you? I mean, you, you got to play, you know, not only in Canada but overseas as well. Was there a, a community in Europe or, or anywhere where you felt like, oh, this is cool? This reminds me of Edmonton or or a, or a city or a team where you really felt it embraced anything really, uh, you know, warm and fuzzy from from a city in your career. Uh 
I wouldn't say city, but I would say country. Uh, Norway was the one, and that's where I spent my most of my time, and for a good reason. Uh, Norwegians are very like, much like Canadians. They're very easygoing. Climates are very similar. Uh, yeah, Norway, and it's a beautiful country. It's pretty much like living in, you know, West Coast BC life, and you know, that's that's a that's a hard one to top. Cool. Okay. You know, in terms of your your current role, I, I mean, FC Edmonton obviously is uh, there's now the Canadian Premier League. And I'm curious your your take on this. And Lars, you you know, I, I, I've said this a lot on this show, and I know it sounds negative, but I am going to say it. And I, I briefly worked for the Edmonton Drillers indoor team after you were there as a player. And uh, unfortunately, shortly after I, I, I got into broadcasting, the, the team folded. And unfortunately, the, the history of soccer in Edmonton for a lot of franchises has been the history of failure. The Faths, though, have done an incredible job with FC Edmonton to keep it going, and now they're joining the Premier League. So I guess i got to ask about your output for the team and the league and, and why you feel or why you're optimistic it, it might have a more positive fate than some other teams and leagues that, uh, that we've seen come and go. Uh, first and foremost, I think uh, the standpoint that it's, uh, it's a Canadian league, that is huge being a player outside of our borders, there are so many rules and stipulations that work against foreigners and Canadians are treated as such. Even the MLS, you know, they're, the Americans, they have a stacked system where they're not foreigners in our country, but we're foreigners in theirs. So to have this first as a showcase place for our players to develop and play is huge. That, that First and foremost, that is a place so we can at least get our numbers, we can get people. It's not such a pipe dream to say, I want to be a professional soccer player. Well, that's, that's a big. That's the biggest point for me. Well, yeah, and I mean, Canada has. I, I think Canadians have always had the feeling, Lars. Maybe even going back to '86 when Canada made the World Cup, that we should be, you know, better than we are. That that you know, we should have been in the World Cup again. And, and I know Canada's, you know, gonna gonna host here coming up, or most likely. So what? Like, is this league what we need to have a better national team? Or are there other steps? Because, you know, you, you've you've been there and you've been an elite player. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure you would have liked the, 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 the national team to be more successful when you were there as well. So what, like, are we close? What, what gets us there in your mind? Uh, first of course, we need a league just to get a player pool uh, where we have a very thin player pool as far as drawing for the national team to draw upon. So, yeah, the bigger base we have there, obviously more success. Obviously, within time, you know, some of these players with their education, with their experiences, they bring it back. Canada, unfortunately, is behind. We are, I know people are going to get all, all up in arms when I use this terminology, but it's a third world country in some ways in football. And we need to, if we want to take it serious, then we, we got to come up to speed. You know, everyone celebrates this Scottish Dome full field. That's one field. We need this, you know, we need many, we need, we need, we need I'd say, multiple facilities like this, just to, just to tackle with the, with the challenges we have here in Edmonton. So it's, uh, it's, there's a lot of place to go, but it's hopeful. Like I said, we, the team has a team. Every kid in the in in the Edmonton area should be eyeing this team, saying, "I want to play for this team. This is the place. This is the where I go. This is the next step in order to go overseas or somewhere else or take a step of a career." Yeah, well said. Well, Lars, great thoughts there, and congratulations on the new gig with FC Edmonton as goalkeeping coach. Uh, I, I hope we have time for many more of these down the road, uh, so we can uh, get into uh, other news with uh, what's going on with FC Edmonton and more memories from your career as well. Really appreciate your time. 
Anytime. Look forward to it. Right on. That is Lars Hirschfeld checking in. Tomorrow, 5.30 face-off show. Game will start at 7. Oilers, Red Wings here on 6.30. Chet. Producer of Inside Sports is Dave Campbell. Our studio producer is Kellen Kennedy. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.